podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So hello there guys and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you guys are well, I hope you're staying safe, I hope that you are looking forward to the F1 season ahead and here we are, we're finally on the final part, well should say final part, we're on the horizon of the F1 2023 season, we've just had pre-season testing and we are going to be doing a little bit of a, of a review of pre-season testing we're going to look at some of the teams what they did well what didn't go well for some of them and try and paint a picture of the pecking order as we potentially may see it or certain hints of some teams that are holding a little bit back that we will look forward to seeing in the season ahead joining me on this episode of the show f1 journalist sam cooper sam first of all thanks for coming back on the show i think this is your hat-trick appearance i haven't got a match ball for you or anything like that unfortunately <laughs> so i have to throw you a, a, a metaphorical one if you like um yeah thank you yeah, how yeah, are you I'll doing mate it. all good yeah i'm very well thanks yeah all, all good yeah looking forward to the season getting started really seems like a long winter break we've had but a week to go we'll be there yeah it feels a really long one i think as as I was talking to our guest of our last episode, Tony Cohen-Brown, it feels so long this winter, probably because of the World Cup and a few other bits. But we're finally there now. We're literally days away from the opening race of the season, the same venue that we had the pre-season test in Bahrain. So, of course, there's probably a lot more to take from a pre-season test like this in terms of an indication of the, as to who is doing well, who has to do some catching up, as it were, in previous years. Of course, this year was uh, the shortest pre-season test that we've had. We only had the one test, three days. Reliability was going to be important. And minus one or two small ailments for a few teams, overall, everybody got a lot of running in. I mean, if you'd have said to someone, Sam, that the lowest uh, amount of running any team would have done was 317 laps over three days, I think they would have bit your arm off at that a few years ago. But now it seems to be the norm of reliability. Yeah, definitely. I think that's probably the main thing that teams are looking for during testing is reliability because that's something that you can't really, it's not a quick fix really. I mean, performance, you can sort of get better over the season. But yeah, I think the main goal for a lot of these teams is just to make sure we get the laps in, we get the actual on-track data, which is something they don't get a lot of during winter, te- winter obviously. So yeah, I think there's no one that's going to come away massively unhappy. I know there's a few teams that have performed a bit worse than we were perhaps expecting, but I think everyone in general at least happy I mean, compared to this time last year, we had people like Daniel Ricciardo out sick and Lando Norris have to do all three days. I know we've got the Lance Stroll mystery that's still going on, but I think generally it's been quite a good three days for all the teams. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as you said, we're on the final stretch now. We're literally waiting now, days away from the opening race of the F1 season in Bahrain. Um, guys, of course, as always, if you enjoy what we do, make sure to support us by subscribing to the channel if you are new. Very close to the big milestone that we have been talking about. So please show us your support if you can. Of course, like the video. And if you are listening on your favourite pod platform, you know what to do. Uh, support us on the channel and also give us a five-star review if you think that we are worthy. Now, Moving to the test, Sam, we had three days of running at Bahrain. There was a lot of good data that the teams would have been able to collect. A great opportunity for them to properly shake down their cars, put them through their paces in a very condensed program. But I'm sure the teams were able to get a lot done. And certainly a lot of boxes were ticked 
And of course, some would have more questions and answers I'd imagine to answer over the course of the season. But I want to start in no particular order with the team that I think we could probably all agree look in the best shape going into the 2023 season. And no surprise, it's Red Bull. And Red Bull, just running through the numbers, set the fastest time, did I think the fifth most laps with 413. They were in that sort of average ballpark of a few teams. Uh, 1 minute 30.3 by Sergio Perez on the final day using the C4 tyres, which was the... I think like the second softest compound. It was very complicated system that they had for this season, adding an extra tyre compound in, uh, much to Crofty's dismay on Sky F1. But looking over at Red Bull, I don't think it's very surprising coming from a dominant 2022 season. The RB19, the best car over one that pace, the best car over long run pace. The Red Bull team seemed very upbeat. If there are any weaknesses with this car, Sam, they're doing a very good job to keep it well hidden right now. Red Bull look very, very good. They do, yeah. I think it's not a massive surprise to see them perform this well. I think the RB18 was such a cut above the opponents, really, especially towards that second half of last season where they sort of blew everyone away. So they obviously had a very good base to build on. I know they had this wind tunnel penalty, which obviously talked about a lot, but I can't imagine that's some that's going to affect some mastery in this year's car. I think that's some that we'll probably see more the effects of next year. But they already had such a strong platform with what they made yet last year that this year was only going to be a matter of small improvements. And they seem to have found that like the fact, the fact that I think they topped all but one day of the testing. And like you said, Sergio Perez got the quickest time overall. And, and I think <clears throat> the fact that Perez is also getting quick time sort of really demonstrates that how quick the car is really, because obviously he's a very good driver, Sergio Perez, but he's not, he's not a Max Verstappen. So we were sort of, we can Max, Max and sort of add an extra 10% himself, but, Sergio Perez is more reliant on the car race. So for the fact that it's very strong, like I think in comparison to this time last year where it was sort of Ferrari that were looking the quickest. And I think if we go back to those, the first three races last year, it was a real question of reliability for Red Bull. They were, they had this car that was quick, maybe not as quick as Ferrari's, but they DNF, DNF'd in two of the three opening races. But I think if we had to guess now, then yeah, it looks like the championship's only going to go one way. But I know it's very early days. I know you shouldn't put too much into testing, but just adding testing on to what we already know about the team. Yeah, it's a very, very strong challenger for the title, I'd say. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And, you know, a lot of people would have been hoping for, at the very least, two teams to be fighting at the front. I mean, we, we may get that. We don't really know how much Ferrari holding back, but of course we'll get to them in a moment. But Red Bull right now, I think you hit the nail on the head, really, with Sergio Perez. I think Sergio is going to be the key factor for Red Bull to focus this season, not to, you know, take away their attention from the obvious objectives which is to win a third successive drivers championship with Max Verstappen and of course retain the constructors title for a second year in a row but what Red Bull are doing right now they're evolving what was already a very very strong car you've already mentioned of course the you know that the the time that's going to be lost in the wind tunnel because of the uh, budget cap sanctions for last season from 2021 it's going to be so important for them to try and find ways to make it easier for Perez to close that deficit to his teammate. Now, if you looked across the grid and you said to almost every single driver, with the obvious exceptions of Sir Lewis Hamilton, maybe Charles Leclerc, or maybe one or two others, that if you had to get in that red ball and made sure you were at least three temps off Verstappen, a lot of drivers probably would be happy accepting that because that's probably what Red Bull would want from them and something they feel they could deliver. With Perez... There is a fear that considering the gap that there was between him and Max last season, which is some races was four temps, some races were half a second. Of course, people can apply their own caveats as to why that was. Ultimately, Red Bull are going to need him to be a lot closer to Max this season. So 
How important do you think it was in this preseason test for Perez to not only have some very good long run pace, but also to post the fastest time of the test? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think you don't win a constructors without two drivers performing very well. I think we saw that a lot over the last few years that Verstappen was always doing well, but he wasn't getting the support from his teammate. And obviously in Perez, they found the perfect not foil, but perfect teammate to Verstappen. I think, yeah, it'd be, it does him a world of good to know that he's putting in the quickest time. I know that there's various factors into that. They might they might have done something different to the car on day three, and obviously Max didn't drive on that day. But yeah, I think for Perez's confidence, I mean, it's a funny season for him, really, because I think everyone on the outside sort of accepts that he's the second driver, but obviously I can't imagine that's sort of how he sees his role. So he's going to be wanting to push to those wins and I think we'll get a few moments throughout the scenes where he's sort of not as happy as he was to step aside for Verstappen so yeah I think it's important for Red Bull to have two competent drivers and I think in Perez they've definitely got that yeah I mean we saw a lot of that earlier in the season with Perez last year that at the very least he was up there with Verstappen you know he did all right in Bahrain but of course he had the reliability issue like Max had in that race uh, in Jeddah he managed to get it on pole position for the first time in his career and of course he had great races at Spain and obviously wasn't happy about strategy Monaco did a great job to win that race although Max wasn't happy about how he got to the front of the field in qualifying and of course he had that great race in Singapore and I think ultimately for Perez is to have more days like that yes of K you might put the question to the team to try and get him to prioritize Max but if he can be in that position more often than not this season coming Obviously, that's going to do him a world of good to secure in a seat, which arguably, as we said already, almost every driver on the grid would probably want that second seat, minus the caveat of literally going into the Lions then to fight Max Verstappen. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, I think that's sort of the accepted role for a second driver at Red Bull, especially since Verstappen sort of come to the fray. I think it's always been, they'll they'll always say they don't have a number one driver. I think as far back as Vettel, it was pretty clear that they sort of always favour the driver that looks more likely to win the championship, which is which is fair enough because that's how you get the title. So yeah, I think no driver is going to accept being a number two. I mean, it's sort of implied at Red Bull, but I think this year is going to be a very important year for Perez because he's sort of, he's got another year on his contract after this season. So it's sort of time to start proving that he's worth that, that extension really. So yeah, I think this could be a very crucial year for him. And I think quite a different year for him as well. I wouldn't be surprised if he really goes out there and tries to prove that not that he's on the same level as Verstappen, but he's much closer than I think a lot of the people um, say that he's not really. And what did you make of Max Verstappen during this test? Because I think now Max has got a few world championships under his belt. So he had a record-breaking season in terms of wins last year. He, in my opinion, is already putting himself up there amongst some of the greatest the sport has ever seen already. I know some people aren't convinced, but I think it's scary to think that he's only going to get better and better. But it felt like after last season, you know, without the the caveats or the asterisks that people were throwing at him over what happened in 2021, there felt like a bit more of a calm swagger, like I'm the guy now, I'm the one that is going to be the man to beat in F1. You know, he takes it in his stride. The testing program, which Red Bull put out to him, which originally was going to be obviously doing the first full day on his own and then the first morning on day two and then take the rest of the testing period off and let his teammate do what he needed to do. And I mean, obviously Red Bull shifted that around to do the evening test, but to go from that to letting everybody else do their running on the third day without having him having to do anything... That reeks of confidence, and I'm not suggesting that Max is being arrogant here, but right now he does seem, based on his driving and his uh, his current aura around him, that he looks in great shape and feels that right now he is in a very good position. 
Yeah, I think the words to sum up Verstappen of the last few years definitely been maturity. Like, I think that was something that quite harshly, I don't think it was always fair, leveled at him during his early career that he was too risky or he's too abrasive. But I think over the last year, ever, ever since that first title, really, he's sort of shown himself to be a cut above a lot of drivers on the grid um, and certainly all the other drivers on the grid as it stands. Um, yeah, like you said, he's just got nothing to worry about. He knows he's he's always been someone that's been very confident of talent and in the, the results and the car beneath him to sort of match that level recently. So, yeah, I think there's absolutely no need for him to worry. Like, he knows more than anyone really how long a season is. So I think we saw this time last year that after those few first few races, it looked like his title hopes were dead and buried. And then sort of by the end of the year, he was miles ahead. So I think, yeah, it's just a sort of, I've been there. I've done that kind of feel sort of to how like Lewis Hamilton has. I mean, he's another, he's another driver that's never going to get too wound up by little things. He sort of sees the bigger picture, which I guess does come from winning those world championships. So yeah, I think Max Verstappen is my favorite for the title. It's hard to look past anyone and the Red Bull team. And I think he's just got that added, like I said, added maturity that really makes him a really complete driver. Mm. And as we said before, I think the scariest part about Max is he's still, what, only 23, 24, well, 24 years of age. He can only get better. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But Max looking in great shape, as is Red Bull. Looking down the field, we were obviously wondering where Red Bull's most likely threat was going to come from. I think before a wheel was turned, we probably would have guessed it was Ferrari. Based on what we saw in preseason testing, I'm under no reason to feel that that is going to be any different. I think Ferrari were probably the easiest team I could place in the pecking order, um, minus Red Bull, of course. Um, their test wasn't too bad. They were four fastest overall, Charles Leclerc, with a 131.0. Did 417 laps, the third most of anyone in the field. So an all-round pretty decent test for Ferrari. And they still look like the biggest threat to Red Bull right now. Yeah, they do. Um, I think, especially in the early races, there will be they will be the biggest rival. Um, I sort of think over the course of the season, I'm sort of putting my money on Mercedes to develop a bit more than Ferrari. And I think by the end of the season, it'd be a lot closer. But certainly at this stage in the season, you're right to say that Ferrari looked right up there. I think... It's always hard to know what teams are holding back, but Carlos Sainz suggested that they were still a bit off Red Bull speed in the straight. So whether they managed to make that up in this week coming or if it's a few few races in, they'll catch up. But yeah, they, they do look sort of where they were last year. But I think the problem with Ferrari has never really been about the car last year. I think a lot of the problems, I know they had some reliability issues, but they, they were quite rare compared to the other problems they had in terms of strategy or driver errors. I think that's always been the bigger issue at Ferrari. And that's not something that is fixed overnight. I know that Fred Vasseur's come in, but he, a lot of the people who were making these strategy calls last season are still there. So there's no guarantee they won't make the same kind of mistakes. So I think Ferrari, yeah, they'll be happy with this test, but I think the real test, as it were, sort of comes as races begin and you're in those high-pressure moments. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it's important, you know, to, to note as well that there are going to be some changes at Ferrari. I know Enaki uh, Rueda is going to be moving to a more factory-based role. And of course, they're going to be changing their operations on the pit wall as well. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Fred Vasseur, obviously a lot of things are going to be need to be changed or at least improved, I suppose, with Ferrari over the course of the season. Um, I mean, looking at the car itself and what we saw, it looked pretty good over one lap. And the long runs were pretty decent at times. It still looked like they were a little bit off a of Red Bull. But I think... One thing we can take away from this test with Ferrari that may be a bit of an unknown is that it did look like they were holding something back. Now, how much they were holding back compared to Red Bull or some of the other teams will remain to be seen. But 
Ferrari, as you mentioned, they were doing some setup changes as well. They were trying to run lower downforce because I know they were quite good in the speed traps on one day and another day they weren't. So there's a lot of experimentation there. Charles Leclerc also saying that the car wasn't quite, uh, quite right in the, uh, the correct setup window, if you like. So there's a lot there, I think, for Ferrari to find, which I think based on what we saw is quite encouraging. The question is going to remain, Sam, is... Will what Ferrari is holding back be enough to put them on par with Red Bull or will it still leave them a bit short? Yeah, definitely. I, it's hard to know at this stage, really. Like, I think only the people inside each garage knows how much they've got in reserve, really. I think I imagine everyone's got a sort of a good idea of who's, as it's called, sandbagging, but we'll only sort of see that in the first few races. Even, even though we've had these three days of testing, I don't think any team's entirely confident of where they are in the pecking order. Like, well, that's something that it's not even going to happen during the first race. It's going to be over a few races before we sort of see this established order come out. So yeah, it's impossibly hard to tell. Like testing is obviously good. It's interesting to watch, but at the same time, I don't think you can take too many of the results too seriously. I think there's always a bit of apprehension, certainly from my part, looking at these, these times and these laps. Cause as you said, we don't know really what any team's doing or how much they've got in reserve. Yeah, absolutely. So I think overall, decent test for Ferrari. I think they'll be happy with the mileage they did. Reliability, the car looked pretty good, which will be important this season. But how close they'll be to Red Bull, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, some people were saying that, you know, if Ferrari did run higher power modes or ran a bit less fuel, we don't know what these are at the moment. There's obvious caveats at play here. It could make the difference between them and Red Bull, but we'll have to wait and see. Let's move on to Mercedes, the other team in the big three right now. A lot to unpack from this test from Mercedes. I think I think Andre Shovlin pretty much summed it up perfectly, saying that they were optimistic after day one, confused on day two, particularly after the hydraulic issue hampered George Russell's long run, but they were in a better place after day three. And Sir Lewis Hamilton in particular put together some very good laps and a good long run at the end, which gave them a bit more confidence. Right now, Sam... Where do you see Mercedes in this? Are they where they were last season, being a little bit off Ferrari and Red Bull? Are they looking over their shoulder at potential teams like Aston Martin and Alpine? Or is this one that right now they're just going to have to see where they are and then hopefully they'll get better as the season goes along? I think right now, judging by A, the testing, but also what the team's been saying, I think they are a comfortable third. But I think the main difference between this season and last season is they don't have this mysterious porpoising problem that's that went on to wreck their season, really. Like their title hopes were sort of over before they really began. And not only does do you spend the season trying to fix that, that then has a knock-on effect on this year's car. Cause while the likes of Ferrari and Red Bull were able to move their focus onto 2023, Mercedes was still trying to figure out the problems with the W13. So I think Mercedes would be positive that they've come to the track this year and the W14 even though they've sort of stuck with this zero side pods design, whereas we've seen a lot of other teams sort of move towards the Red Bull slash Ferrari way of doing things. But Mercedes has been confident saying, okay, we expect, we believe this has got some performance in it. We're going to stick with it. And I think the fact that there's no been no porpoising, there's been no bouncing as much for either driver on the straights or around the corners. That's a massive plus on that. I mean, that's probably the one objective they would have hoped to achieve coming out of testing. I think right now, judging by what they've said, is they sort of anticipate themselves to be a bit behind Ferrari and Red Bull. I think George Russell in particular said they're a bit slower. Or yeah, I think he did say a bit behind Red Bull. So, But I think, as shown last year, I think Mercedes are a very good team when it comes to development. So I mentioned briefly earlier on that um, 
while I could see Mercedes starting a long way behind, well, not a long way, but quite a way off Ferrari and Red Bull, I would back them to sort of develop and catch up quite quickly. So I wouldn't be surprised if we come to about halfway through the season and I think it'd be Mercedes and Red Bull challenging again. I think that sort of looks like what's going to pan out in my mind at least. So yeah, I think it's been a very positive test for them. I think the main objective, I said, like I said, it was always going to be to make sure there's no porpoising. And the fact there isn't just now gives them a good base to build on, which I think they've often been very good at doing over the last 10 years, really. Yeah, I think if there was one team on the grid that could have done with an extra test to really understand their car a bit better and where they're actually at is probably Mercedes. And, you know, I, I think it was quite telling with Ted Kravitz on Sky F1 after the second day, he was talking about Mercedes in a very, uh, in a very tepid mood. It, it wasn't buoyant. It wasn't very optimistic. It did feel that Mercedes were scratching their heads more than being um, optimistic about their chances. He even went as far as saying that Mercedes could even be a second behind. Now, obviously, I, I don't think for a second Mercedes are a second behind the ultimate pace in the Red Bull, for example. But I think what it does point to is the fact that there are still a few issues from Mercedes to work out. As you pointed out earlier, the porpoising issue, the the big problem that plagued them last year, the big old capital P, that doesn't seem to be a problem for them anymore. I mean, there were one or two instances where we saw the Ferrari have a bit of porpoising or even the Alpine, but it were very minimal. And this was on a bumpy Bahrain track, which hasn't been relayed since they started racing there in 2004. So I think for that reason they can be quite buoyant about the fact that porpoising seems to be under control at least but at the same time whilst it wasn't that much of a handful for the drivers there still seem to be some issues to figure out and obviously we mentioned George Russell's hydraulics issue on day two obviously that can happen to anybody really so I don't think they'll be too worried about that but in the short term Sam do you feel that Mercedes it may take a while for them to get up to speed so they can understand the full potential of their car and also Another thing that's always plagued me is why is it Mercedes always seem to be a team that doesn't seem to get on top of their car straight away, even when they've got a good one? Yeah, you're right. I don't think they probably know better than I do why that is. Um, I don't think they'll be challenging for the win in Bahrain. I mean, this, I mean, again, this is purely debated off testing results of what the team principals and people within the team have said, but they sort of accept that they're behind Red Bull and Bahrain. And so I think for the first few races, at least, I wouldn't be surprised if we get to Imola and there's still a big gap. But um, yeah, as to why they spend a lot of time trying to develop, I don't know really. But I think the main positive for them this season, they've sort of got that base, at least they can build on. Whereas last year they had this car, they thought it was going to be great. And they suddenly realized that everything they knew about it was wrong. So I think at least from that point of view, they've got a car now, they know the good things about it and then you know the things they need to improve and they know how to do it really well i think that's crucial but yeah i'm not entirely sure why they sometimes slower start but i think well i think george russell alluded to it he said it's better to have a car that's good over the course of the season rather not put all your eggs in one basket as it were for that first race because it's all well and good winning the open race but if you lose the next 22 you're not going to win the title so i think they they will focus on they'll have the bigger picture in mind i think is what when they come to car development they want this base to build on which they've got so i think they'll be just happy the way testing's panned out really yeah i mean to play devil's advocate if i may this concept the hide pod concept that mercedes stuck with for this season it's a bit of an evolution on what we saw last year it wasn't necessarily the big fundamental issue with their car it was just uh, a symptom of the concept they went down and everybody focused on the side pods as an obvious flaw even though that probably wasn't the case it does feel to me this is going to be a big season for Mercedes to 
basically prove whether or not this concept is going to be the golden one in terms of the one that's going to prove the to have the highest potential or the highest ultimate pace we've seen the red bull concept we've seen the ferrari concept we've seen the mercedes one three different parallel lines if you like of achieving the ultimate performance as ted kravitz put it through history we know only one tends to be the one that triumph over the others and so far red bull looked to have achieved that but there is room for scope for others for mercedes this year i just can't help but feel that if they're not able to get it right or make tangible gains on red bull this season that this could paint a picture for what we're expecting to see the next few years because if mercedes abandon it it's almost like going two steps back to go one step forward against a team that's already got a year and a half development time on their concept ahead of you yeah i agree but on the same on the flip side i think if there's a team that you can sort of rely on to be smart of their doing it's mercedes they've proven it over the last 10 years so i think there's obviously a reason they're sticking with it they personally believe this performance that is not only going to match the Red Bull car design, but beat it. So that's that's their ultimate goal. I mean, there have been rumours that they've got a B-spec car in the garage wing that looks more similar to sort of the Red Bull design. So whether that gets an early run out, we'll sort of see. But there's there's no... There's, I'm trying to figure out a phrase, but yeah, there's, there's a reason they're going to be doing it. That there's a reason they're going to stick to this no-pod, side-pod, or whatever they call it. But um, yeah, like I said, Mercedes is sort of a team, they've got enough of a history of winning multiple championships that you sort of you've got to give them a bit of leeway and sort of say okay they probably know what they're doing it's going to work out eventually but yeah if it doesn't then that's a big problem but for now at least i'm sort of semi-confident that they are going to figure it out and sort of get the best out of that car well you certainly hope so because i think the last thing any mercedes fan wants to hear is that the perfect concept is the red bull car and they're already a year and a half behind it even with the added development time that they will have in uh, over Red Bull, not just with the sanctions, but also finishing behind them in the Constructors' Championship. So uh, we'll have to wait and see, but uh, plenty more to come from Mercedes by the sounds of it. Let's move on to another team, a team that I think, not that you can award a trophy to winning a preseason test, but certainly if there was a metaphorical one, it probably would go to Aston Martin, who I think a lot of people thought that after posting some really good times uh, that looked like glory runs on the surface, but when you sort of dive further than just looking at the numbers, you look at the way the car handled on track, the car looked really good, uh, definitely a huge step up from what we saw last season. Fernando Alonso got two days worth of running, and of course part of that was down to not only his teammate's injury, uh, Lance Stroll but also there was a bit of confusion over whether or not Stroll was going to be involved and then obviously Drogovic had to step in it does feel like after the final day when Aston Martin had a long run with Fernando Alonso that one in particular was the one that raised a few eyebrows even as far as saying that they may even be a threat to Mercedes and Ferrari I mean for example Sam I think I remember hearing one team boss saying that if the Grand Prix was this weekend Fernando Alonso probably would have been a favorite to get on the podium yeah, it's been, uh, I think if there's one team, like you said, that's really enjoyed testing, it's um, it's Aston Martin, this big project that we've heard heard about for so many years now, ever since they were racing point and then obviously rebranded to Aston Martin, that it's sort of finally come to fruition, really. They've got the right people in Dan Fallows, the, obviously the head ex-head of uh, Red Bull's head of Aero. So he's a man who knows what he's doing. And this is his first car that's under his stewardship. So I think we're seeing a lot of benefits from that. 
Um, they've got this massive upgrades going on to the Silverstone, it's to their Silverstone base. Uh, one of my colleagues at Planet F1 had a look around. He was very impressed with what he saw. And then, yeah, of course, they got Fernando Alonso as well. So even though they had a four-time four -time champion in Vettel, I think Alonso adds a different element, if you like, sort of one who's very demanding. He's not going to settle for anything less than what he was promised. And obviously, they must have promised quite a lot to get him to leave sort of a guaranteed midfield top end running an Alpine. So, yeah, I think over the course of this, that those three days testing, like everything was looking good for Aston Martin. I know they had a few issues on that first day, but they sort of quickly solved and that's sort of what the point of testing is. But yeah, I think the one big problem for them at the moment is who's going to be driving that car come Sunday. I mean, it's looking increasingly like it's going to be Felipe Drogovic, but Aston Martin have been a very quiet about how just how injured Stroll is and sort of there's been rumours about broken wrist but I don't know if that's if there's any truth to that but if there is any truth to that it's going to be a long time out so yeah I think that's the one question mark but that's a question mark that can hopefully easily be solved whereas the car looks looks like it's got a good base to it it looks like it's got some speed and it looks like Alonso's finally made a good career move which doesn't hasn't happened a load of t a huge amount of times in his long career yeah i couldn't agree with you more on that one um i mean he was bound to get it right eventually not to say that alpine are going to be rubbish i think if we you know strip back all the numbers and predict where we think aston martin will be it's most likely going to be in that battle for fourth with alpine although you never know maybe they will make a step forward but it was a huge improvement for them from last year there was a lot of reliability issues last year Vettel hardly was able to get any running, not to mention the fact that because he uh, went down sick before the first few races, they had to chuck Hulkenberg in there alongside Lance Stroll. So it's been a really good test for Aston Martin. As you said, the only downside is that Lance Stroll was not able to take part owing to his injuries. And at this point, we still don't know the extent of his injuries. Are Aston Martin keeping something hidden? Probably is it because it's the boss's son and obviously they don't want to leak too much information? For me, I think the fact that Drogovic got his second run on the third day would suggest to me that it looks very likely, if not almost guaranteed, that he will be driving in the first race and making his debut. And I think as a result of that, that could be a problem because I have the utmost confidence in Felipe Drogovic, the F2 champion, to step in and do a good job. But it's not the same super sub situation as a Nico Hulkenberg or even a Stoffel van Dorn, who obviously is the reserve driver, but owing to other commitments, he can't obviously be involved and probably won't be involved next week if the option was available anyway. It is going to be a bit of a concern for Drogovic. I mean, how would you think he would get on? Because he's probably not even had a full days of running because he had those electrical issues on the first morning. So, uh, yeah, he's going to be up against it if he gets the call in a midfield car that could, in a good day, get a podium maybe. Uh, yeah, he could be, but I think he's obviously a very competent driver. He's an F2 champion. I think we saw as from Nick DeVries last year that... If you're a rookie that's coming with no expectation, it sort of massively lifts all the pressure off you. If he does end up deputising for Stroll, then I think that's just a free hit, really, that no one's expecting a load from you. No one really knows how good the car is yet, and the rest of the teams are sort of figuring out how good their car is. So I think it's only positive for him. Obviously, he's an ambitious driver. He's going to want to get his first taste of F1 action proper as soon as he can, really. So I think he won't be wishing his teammate uh, more injuries, but he's obviously very happy this results come this situation has panned out the way it has and i think the fact that he's done quite a lot of testing over the weekend is sort of the biggest sign yet that stroll not stroll might not be ready for it and i like you said aston martin have might have their reasons for choosing to hide the length of um his injury but it's looking increasingly likely like Djokovic will will be in that car and um 
I think it's a perfect time for him, really, because if we if we remember as well, there's three rookies. I know Nick DeVries has had done a race, but he is still classed as a rookie. But there's three other rookies on the grid trying to work out how to drive an F1, really. So, yeah, he's not going to be alone. I think it's just a perfect opportunity for him, really. And I sort of hope that he grasps onto it, really, because that's going to, A, maybe make him an option for Aston Martin down the line, which seems quite quite uh, unlikely given who the, who the dad of the team is. But he might make him another option for another team. Yeah, well, this is it. And I think I don't think Drugovic would have been too, but even if he's been told in private that he's going to be getting the nod, obviously he's not going to want to talk it up too much because we're talking about the boss's son here, um, which obviously can be quite an awkward place to be in. But if he does get the nod, and I certainly hope he does for his sake, hopefully, you know, good luck to him. It's definitely going to be a big task, but um, hopefully he'll do a good job. And, and the car looks like a very good one to drive right now. Um, I mean, if you're Aston Martin... I'm not going to sort of look into how they've handled this situation with Stroll and Djokovic, et cetera, et cetera. I think the key point was allowing Fernando to get as much running as he has done. And I think, you know, we can talk about that in a moment, how impressive that is for a man at 42 years of age, still looks like he has the motivation and hunger of a driver starting out in F1 20 odd years ago when he did. But if you're at Aston Martin, based on the situation that um, you moved away from last season with Sebastian Vettel, would you have not been tempted to potentially bring him in? Because he still would have had the know-how from last year in an updated car. And I'm not going to lie, Sam, the opportunity to see Fernando Alonso and Seb Vettel in the same team would have been tantalisingly tempting. Yeah, that's the dream for all F1 fans. But I think if we look at it from Aston Martin's point of view, is there much benefit to getting Seb out of retirement? I mean, we all know Vettel's, I can't imagine he's picked out over the winter break, but at the same time, he hasn't been doing that preseason training. He hasn't been, he might not be in peak physical performance. So we don't know what kind of level his driving will be at. He's had no running A in a simulator or B in the actual car. So he's obviously behind on that front. And then if we think in more long term, Drogovic looks like a driver of the future. He looks like someone who could fill a spot on their team. So surely it makes more sense to, uh, blood him in really sort of give him a chance in the F1 rather than I know it's a big it'd be a great sight to see but I think there's a lot of negatives that well not negatives but there's more positives I feel giving Djokovic that chance and and it sort of demonstrates to him that okay we believe in you because I think if you're the reserve driver then suddenly they're getting a guy out of retirement rather than racing you it's going to do it's not going to do your confidence a lot of good is it so I think the fact that they're willing to stick with their their reserve driver is probably a very good and a smart thing to do for the future. Yeah, absolutely. And it probably wouldn't be a good idea, especially when Van Dorn would normally be the one to get the seat first. But uh, yeah, it's a bit unfortunate for him. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time yet again. I don't think this is the first time this has happened to him either. So uh, yeah, I think Stoffel needs to spend more time with the F1 team rather than his other commitments, of course, whilst they are important. Um, let's move on to Alpine. Now, Alpine, it was a weird one where to place them. And I think the best solution I could come up with as to why I feel like they're going to be in that ballpark with Aston Martin as the team fighting to be kings in the midfield, purely off the base of last season. And when I was watching them in the test, whilst they didn't set up the timesheets, I mean, they, they set the slowest time of all the teams, uh, Gasly 132.7. They did the second fewest laps of any team, but they looked like they were holding something back. The car looked pretty good when it was running in certain places um, compared to some of the other teams around them. Ocon and Gasly, they looked like they were on a, on a they were on a very strict run plan, which focused on high fueled runs, long runs, and also running on a lower engine mode. And this is a team like Ferrari that have had reliability issues with their power unit, something they had to get right for this year. They never seem to deviate away from that. So 
I feel like with all that in place, Sam, and based off the GPS data that some of the team principals were referring to when they were asked about the pecking order, they seem to put Alpine in a much higher position as well. So I think any Alpine fans watching the test and seeing the timesheets thinking, oh God, we're the slowest team on track. I think they can breathe a sigh of relief that Alpine are probably likely to be where we'd expect them to be. And that's probably fighting for the fourth or fifth best team on the grid right now. Yeah, they're definitely my pick for P4. I think they've got a really good driver lineup. I mean, I'm personally a big fan of Gassi. I think he's sort of on that top end of drivers, maybe not in the top bracket, but sort of a very good midfield runner. So I think him alongside Ocon, who obviously proved himself over the last couple of seasons against Alonso, I think that's just a very competent and very experienced drive lineup that I think they'll get the most out of. And I think they showed last year they've got the potential to get that P4. The Alpine car looks very good. It's sometimes had reliability issues, but a lot of the talk over the winter break and especially at the launch was that those are the things, a thing of the past. So, yeah, I don't think you can take their performance too seriously during testing. I think they probably holding quite a lot back, just getting more data. And um, I spoke to Matt Harmon actually during the launch and he said there was going to be a big update package ready for Bahrain. So this week coming. So, that'll obviously add even more performance to the car. So yeah, they're currently my firm favourites of P4. I think they've proved last year they can do it. And I think in comparison to McLaren, who obviously were fighting for it last year, I think they've just sort of made that step up while McLaren may have made a step back. So yeah, I think if you're an Alpine fan, don't be worried. It's all, all going to be fine, really. I think you've got a very good driver lineup and like, and it looks like a very good car. Yeah, I think there's a lot that can be said from a team that doesn't necessarily panic with their run plans or doesn't try to go for glory runs. I mean... We often associated that trait with Mercedes over the years when they always, I think, I can't remember what year it was. I think it was like 2018, 2019, where they turned up, they bolted on a set of medium tires when they only had like the three compounds at the time. And they just ran with the C3 tire over and over again. I think they hardly did any runs on any other compound. And yet they turned up and they were blitzing the field. So any team that has that kind of run plan and they're not too worried about doing any other things and especially out in Alpine's case where I think focusing on reliability and long runs was key for them I think they were going to be in pretty decent shape not really seeing anything that suggests to me that they're going to challenge the top teams but I think they're in a pretty good place so um, I think one thing we're going to have to look forward to is how that all transpires on track because of course they should have been comfortably fourth last season they just about edged it over McLaren and there were a lot of reasons for that Ocon and Gasly is going to be a tantalizing partnership as well um you obviously were at the launch, Sam. What did you make of all that? They seem to say all the right things, but again, this probably comes from a place where those who are going to expect that question everywhere they go, so they're probably well prepared in how to answer it. Yeah, they've talked a lot about this relationship, but I think that's sort of the only thing that can get tested on track, really. Like, it all seems happy families now, but as we know, it's one thing to say it when you're in the calm of a London uh, nightclub, really, and another thing to say it, when you're doing 200 miles an hour on track. So I think they're both smart. They probably had a lot of talk over the winter saying, look, the team's more important. I'm sure Artmar's had a lot of words to them saying, because obviously they had the, had a few issues with Ocon Alonso last year. So they'll be, they'll have had their fingers burned as it, as it were from that. So I think they have both sat down this uh, winter. It does them no favors to get into on fight tracks when there's on track fight, sorry, when there's, when it's not needed. So, uh, yeah, look, we've all heard about this this so-called bad relationship, but I think these things can be swept under the rug. And I think they're both smart lads. They'll sort of realise that it's far more important to work for the team rather than their own personal ego, really. 
And what did you make of Pierre Gasly during testing? Because I think this is a big year for him. He's finally moved away for the first time in his career from the Red Bull programme. He's now in an all-French team. Um, Obviously, you know, driving with Ocon, we've already spoken about that already. But this is going to be a big year for him. So what did you make of him in the test so far? Yeah, it is a big year for him. I think not only is it a new team, it's obviously an entirely new way of working, really, because he's he's grown up in this Red Bull system. He's that's all he's ever known in F one at least, and he's now come to a whole different headquarters, whole different team principal, whole different teammate, whole different car. I think he spoke a lot about how he had to get used to the steering wheel, where we sort of forget these small things that drivers have to go through. Um, yeah, I think his testing was okay. Like as he's probably quite reflective of the the team in general, really. That it wasn't anything amazing but i don't think there's anything to worry about on the same side so yeah i think he's sort of a driver that i'll be keeping close on i don't think we might not see the best of out of him this year as he sort of gets used to the the car but i think over the course of his alpine contract which i can't remember how many years but i know it's a multi-year deal but i think yeah he's going to be very strong and i just think it's a good moment for him in his career to do this he's sort of the right age he's got the experience i think he's either the most He's got the most races as an Alpha Tower driver, or he's second, but he's up there, so he's got a lot of experience under his belt, and I think that's only going to help him going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Let's move on to Alfa Romeo, and Alfa Romeo, best way to sum up their test is they love a glory run. I mean, the last few years, we've often seen Alfa Romeo like to run the car a bit light. They They kind of, well, they're rumoured to be the team that do tend to run lighter than others in their run programs. I know... You know, we have the obvious caveats with testing of engine modes and fuel loads that teams use and, you know, tyre offsets and everything else that comes with that. Alfa Romeo are often rumoured to be the team that runs lighter through their programmes than others. They were third fastest overall, fastest on day two. I think Zhou Guan Yu set the fastest time there. So I think we can all take that and say, you know, Alfa Romeo favourites in Bahrain next weekend. (laughs) Did quite yeah. a lot of laps, so uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what did you make of all of that from Alfa Romeo? I mean, they look they look pretty decent, but nothing spectacular though, other than the glory yeah. ones. Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. Really, like they sort of we, we saw last season, they had a very good early performance, and again, I keep saying this, but it's reliability. Like so many teams last year suffered, which is entirely to be expected, considering they had this whole new re- regulations and stuff like that. So that change the game really so it's entirely expected to see lots of teams struggling with reliability and Alfa Romeo definitely were one towards the end of the season that really struggled at Bossas in particular had so many DNFs but um again I, I wasn't at their launch but I heard a lot of their quotes and they were all talking about how oh, yeah we sort of we focused on reliability so they mentioned that Sauber obviously who are the the team underneath the Alfa, Alfa Romeo branding have always had quite a good history of being reliable and they sort of want to get back to that and then build on the speed so it's good that they had the speed of last year early in early in the start of the year. And like, it's just about making sure it's more, it lasts across the course of the season. So I think it was all well and good sort of beating Lewis Hamilton that first race as Bottas, but he's going to want to see more consistent results going through the season. So yeah, I think their testing looked good. It didn't, it didn't wow anyone as such, but yeah, it was enough to say that, okay, there's some speed there. They're going to be ones, I think definitely challenging in the midfield. I think anything higher than that would be a great ask for them really. But yeah, I think, there's enough positive signs there to say that it's going to be a good season for them. Yeah, I think this is one of those years for them, like last year, where they're going to be fighting with Haas and Alpha Tauri. I know Aston Martin were part of that quartet last year, but I think we can all, based on what we saw from testing, unless Aston Martin have completely gone crazy with the glory runs, um, as I said, that Fernando Alonso uh, day three long run kind of think confirmed that they do genuinely have some pace. I think Alpha, uh, Alpha Romeo are going to be 
probably just ahead of Haas and AlphaTauri at this point in time. And I think it's going to be quite important, as you mentioned already, to make sure the reliability issues are a thing of the past. I know they had a gearbox issue, or so they claimed on day two, which obviously might point in the direction of Ferrari, and we'll have to wait and see how that pans out. But otherwise, the car did look like a step up from last year. Bottas and Joe Guan Yu seemed quite happy with it. There was a lot of work done over the winter, as you mentioned, Sam, to overhaul the car and overcome those reliability issues. So I think like we saw last year, Alfa Romeo's best opportunity for points could come very early on if their development program isn't as good as it could be compared to their rivals. Resourcing does still seem to be an issue with a team that is currently going to be going for a transition process for the next few years before it becomes an Audi Works team. Yeah, I think that's an entirely fair way of looking at it. That's definitely what panned out last year, that sort of there comes a point in the season for a lot of these midfield teams where they sort of think, okay, what's the benefit of continuing to develop this car? We're not in a title race and sort of we're settled in this midfield. So they sort of switch focus to next year. I think that's why we see a lot of teams trail off towards the year as it goes on. And it's, yeah, like I said, it's a funny year. Sort of this is the last year of the Alfa Romeo sponsorship and they sort of become Saudi next year but then they've got this big Audi project looming in the future I know it's 2026 but that'll that'll soon creep around especially in the planning of an F1 car but um yeah I think I would expect to see a much stronger car at the start of the year that's just sort of how it goes really with a lot of these teams and it's up to them to sort of decide how much we put in maybe because it's the last year as alpha they want to put in a strong showing all the way up to the end but it tends to be the case that you sort of hit that midway point of the season to sort of reflect on what you can can realistically do for the rest of that season then maybe go okay let's it's better we start focusing on 2024 now yeah and hopefully for them that won't become too much of a distraction but uh yeah we'll have to wait and see how they go on of course over the course of the season they will need to make sure that car stays in good shape in order to beat their rivals as they did last season it was a good year for them looking at Haas now again this was another team that I thought did pretty well in the test all things considered I think there wasn't a massive amount expected of them but the, the reliability was very good the car looked good it did the fourth most laps of anybody 415 it was sick fastest overall with 131.3 from K Mag. Hulk looked very good as well and I want to talk about him in a moment there's no obvious weaknesses with this Husk car but it just lacked the spark of last year's car to compare it and I don't think in the short term there's no reason why they can't aim for points. K-Mag actually said it himself. So uh, what, do, what did you make of Haas, Sam? Yeah, I think they are definitely going to focus higher than they were last year. I think last year was sort of a comeback year where they sort of proved that they weren't as bad as they were in 21. I know they sacrificed that season essentially to aim at 22. So yeah, I think with um, both Magnussen and Hulkenberg, that's a very strong driver lineup, very experienced driver lineup. And I think maybe their testing is not as reflective of where they want to be in the grid. But I, again, they might be not not sandbagging, but not putting it all out there kind of thing. So I think, yeah, I sort of has, I'd put on that lower tier of midfield. So I don't think they'll be fighting like the likes of Williams at the bottom of the grid, but I think they will, they'll struggle to break into that Alpine, Aston Martin range that we've sort of discussed already. But I think there's a lot of positive signs, especially where Haas have been in the last few years. The fact they've got a new sponsor, and it sort of seems like they're going to be able to hit the budget cap for the first time this year. That's just all massive improvements of where this team were even a few years ago. So yeah, I think it's all very positive signs. It's now just about making sure they 
a consistent point score, at least fighting for points every race. That's sort of always been the goal for Haas, and it sort of looks like it might come to fruition this year. Yeah, and saving money where they can is obviously another plan. Obviously, um, you must have seen uh, on the pit mm. wall, they've reduced the size of their pit wall uh, to, well, you, I, don't, I can't remember how many seats the capacity. Three, like, they've got yeah. down to three seats. But that's um, uh, yeah, it's going to save yeah. apparently a quarter of a million dollars a year. So not that's bad. a great idea. Yeah, I'd, I'd do it if I was them. So yeah, smart, smart move by them. I mean, are we going to see other teams try and do that? I mean, I know in Formula One, you know, th- these teams are doing pretty well for themselves now. Like nobody's struggling financially, even Haas now with their new uh, corporate sponsors helping to fund them up to the budget cap this year. But uh, it's quite interesting to see a few innovations like that where you can save every penny, I suppose, in this climate. It's probably important. Yeah, and definitely, I think it's also got the added sustainability push that I think has have been one of the teams that have been very focused on being more green, and that's just another way to do it. So they don't have to lug this heavy, massive, essentially a motorhome of seats around with them. So yeah, it's it's a good idea, and I think I can't imagine other teams will uh, buy into it. I think a lot of them will say that the people they have on the pit wall are worth that kind of money, but. Yeah, it's just different levels, really, in what teams are after and how much spare money they've got in the bank, really. Well, not to throw any shade their way, but I think if there's one team that might fancy a a tip or two on how to save a bit of money, it's Red Bull. So uh, based on what we saw last (laughs) year. So maybe we might see Red Bull adopt an approach like that. What would be quite interesting and quite telling. Um, Let's move on to AlphaTauri now. And and AlphaTauri's test... Again, we can put this in the ballpark of it was okay, but not spectacular. But I think unlike Alfa Romeo and Haas, I think we there's a lot to be said from what happened last year of Alfa Tauri. It was very underwhelming. The development program wasn't great. The technical director, Jody Eggington, referred to the setup experiments throughout this test, um, not really yielding the expected results. And there were still, still some issues with the correlation of the, the car in terms of what it was able to do on track versus what the wind tunnel was simulated was telling them that the car was capable of. It did feel that the car was um, lacking in a bit of pace until Sonoda's final quick lap on the C4 tyres on day three. This one, I don't really look at what Alpha Tauri are doing and feel that they're going to make a step forward in the short term in terms of the pecking order. It does feel that their season could hinge on how well the development programme comes. And based on what jo- uh, Jody Eggington has already said, it's not really good. I must admit, I'm very pessimistic about AlphaTauri this season. I think their P9 last season was obviously a massive fall from where they've been. They were on such a good rise. They were getting better and better each year. Gasly was producing some great results, and then they sort of just fell off a cliff, really, last year for whatever reason, which, sort of, which seems all the more confusing because their sister team were that dominant, but suddenly they found a lot of problems with their car. And um, I think Gasly's a massive loss for them. He was obviously, he was quite clearly their better driver out of the two of him in Sonoda. He was sort of the experienced leader in the team. He was the one able to give good feedback, able to sort of guide the car's direction. And I think just not having that presence around is going to be a massive problem for for them. I remember the, the guys at Alpine were talking about how much Gasly was a good engineer as well as a driver. He was always very detailed about his feedback of the car. And they're obviously just missing out. It's going to be a massive thing because... They've obviously got Nick DeVries coming in, who's, who's driven, obviously, obviously he's driven Mercedes cars, but he's only ever driven one race, so that's another thing entirely. And they've got Yuki Tsunoda, who, seals, who still seems quite raw. I know this is his third season now in F1, but he's obviously not massively experienced. They're, I think just going off races alone, they must be the most inexperienced team on the grid. Um, yeah, I just, I'm not overly optimistic about their, their car, really, and sort of their driver partnership. I don't know how they're going to get on, and I think it's going to be 
definitely a hard start to the season. They might have this development plan in progress, but it's going to take a lot of catching up if they do start out of the points and sort of have four or five races out of the points. And that's a long way to catch up, really. So, yeah, I think of all the teams on the grid, they're sort of, I think I had to do my predictions for my uh, uh, Planet F1 job today. I actually put them last below Williams. So I think that's showing how much I sort of don't believe this could all be proved to be wrong. I might have egg on my face come November, but yeah, just sort of the signs we're seeing coming out of it. It's just not a positive one. And of course they've got massive talk that they might be up for sale. So there's always that. We talked a little bit about with Alfa Romeo, obviously Audi in the pipeline, but that's something that's confirmed. And if you're Alfa Tauri and you're wondering, okay, what's the future of our team? We're not really sure. And sort of Red Bull are having second thoughts about the worth, the cost benefit of having them in the team. Yeah, I think there's a lot of question marks inexperienced drivers and not a great car is not a great combination really i mean i think you summed it up really well i mean when i was putting my predictions i kind of put them ninth but i feel like i was being generous owing to the fact that williams had a lot more ground to make up so it was kind of thinking mm-hmm. is there enough of a jump from williams because obviously they have made a step forward and have alpha tarry kind of stepped back relatively speaking for that to change so i gave them the benefit of the doubt but this time next week, Sam, I could be doing a review on a race where AlphaTauri are plumb last. You know, having the most inexperienced driver lineup, I think arguably the weakest driver lineup as well. And I don't think that's a, I don't mean that as a dig at Nick DeVries and Sonoda, but when you look at the other drivers on the grid in the other teams, I feel like you can make a fair case to make that point. This is going to be a big year for Sonoda as well, not to mention all the other things. And, uh, you know, when you look at a spark from Snowdor or where his talent has kind of peaked in F1, a lot of people will probably point to 2020 test or 2021 test when he first died out, sorry. So obviously that's not really ideal. Hopefully he can improve on that. Um, looking at the car itself, there was a lot of focus on some of the issues it had last season. Um, high speed grip was a problem. It does seem to be a bit better, but the car looked a bit understeery when I was watching it. It looked like it was struggling to really get on the power, particularly after turns uh, 10 and 11 uh, with those higher speed changes before the final sector. Um, it was a nightmare in the slower corners as well, in the um, the double left-hander where a lot of people locked their brakes. I think the Alpha struggled the most and that's going to be a real problem, something we'll see a bit more next weekend. So, And as you mentioned as well, you know, with, with all the news about Alpha Tauri potentially being sold by Red Bull, it could be the ideal time for them to sell potentially to a team that might be looking to get on the grid, like Andretti, maybe or even maybe even Panfera, or maybe a few others like Hyundai, for example. We don't know. Obviously, I'm speculating at this point, so uh, don't take anything what I say as gospel, guys. But um, the good news for Alpha Tauri, they're going to be the best prepared team on the grid because they did the most laps. So uh, mm-hmm. I think we can take some encouragement that the car is reliable at least, even if it's not fast. Yeah, they'll, they'll take that as probably a small consolation, but at least they will be able to finish races. They might finish last, as as sort of I could see happening. But yeah, at least they're getting the laps in and they're not sort of left without any data. I think one of the big problems of last year was there was no obvious fix to a lot of these errors that the A203 had. So whether they've managed to iron those out for the A204, we'll see. But like I said previously, I, I'm very pessimistic about the chances of doing that. Well, that's the thing. I mean, last season when I reviewed it, I felt they were the seventh fastest car, but they didn't capitalise on when they were good. They had reliability issues. The drivers were either crashing into each other or not delivering. Uh, Monaco, where Pierre Gazzi was phenomenal, may have even got a podium under better circumstances, but they kind of messed that up and uh, on strategy. So there's a, the whole myriad of errors 
and issues for them to tackle. And as I said, with a potential sale might be on the cards if Red Bull want to cash in. And I know they're probably more than likely than they have been for some time to consider that. It is a bit of an issue for AlvaTauri. And and like you said, Sam, as much as I want to be optimistic for them, I just can't really grasp at anything right now from what they're telling me or for what I'm seeing on track that suggests to me that they're going to turn this around in the short term, especially when everybody else seems to have made a step forward and a bigger step forward than them. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think a lot of these teams look like they've made big strides and I just don't think AlphaTauri have done that really. So there's not much more you can say really. I'm very pessimistic. I've got, I think I don't have huge faith in their drivers. I think they're both talented, but they're very raw. So yeah, we'll see what comes this time next week. But as it stands right now, I can't predict them finishing near the points really. Yeah. Um, AlphaTauri fans, one other bit of good news I can offer you, and um, that is that they did not have the worst test, in my opinion. That unfortunate award goes to the next team, and that is McLaren. And Sam, I don't know about you, but I, I'm i very disappointed. I'm very sad. I'm not a McLaren fan, but I do have a lot of respect for the team. I admire them a lot. And I was a little bit worried after the launch when we heard Andrea Stella as he claimed being realistic, the undertones or what we heard there was quite downbeat. The car on track didn't look very good and it didn't look very fast either. And it did the fewest amount of laps. It did 312, which, as I said already, is still pretty good on a three day test. But compared to everybody else, um, you know, I think the most laps Alpha Tauri did over 140 laps more. That's a whole day's worth of running. So. I mean, what did you make of McLaren? Were you surprised that they looked so far off the pace? And uh, are we going to have to wait until the fourth or fifth race before we finally, can, before we can finally judge McLaren on how good they are? It did look massively off the pace. I think you're entirely right. I think you're right also to say they had the worst test. Like it was just a dreadful few days for them. Like Landon Norris was sort of couldn't believe what he was seeing. Really, there was a lot of talk going into it. They were sort of behind development, but I don't think anyone expected it to be this much like you said it wasn't reliable either it's not like they were getting a lot of laps in as alpha tari were um it's just a very worrying time for mclaren obviously it was this massive winter of a lot of change so obviously the team principal goes out the door as does your most senior driver the most experienced even if he wasn't performing and in comes this rookie and obviously andrea stella gets pro- pro- promotion upwards uh, but there's just a lot of warning signs a lot of worrying signs about what we can expect from mclaren i think early on you'd before the testing you'd probably predict they'd be fighting with alpine but now i mean obviously you can't read too much into these three days of testing you don't want to sort of make grand conclusions over something that's only three days long it's just a very glimpse as to what the team's been doing but it's looking very worrying for mclaren i think it's a worry about the car but also you've got to start worrying about norris like if he keeps having season after season with a Miss Porpin car, whereas he's seeing people, I know they're slightly older, just a couple of years, but like people like George Russell, Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, they're all sort of that young age and they're starting to win races, battle for podiums. And he's sort of thinking, okay, I'm on the outside of this. I'm sort of being taught as a great talent and I'm nowhere near really, mainly due to the car. Is he going to start looking for a, a move out of McLaren? So yeah, it's just a very worrying time for them right now. Hopefully they can get the de- development sorted this week and sort of get a new package on the car and sort of, bring it up a little bit closer to where we sort of expect them to be. But it's a very big ask from judging by those three days. And I think Andrea Stella looks a very worried man when he spoke over the weekend. Yeah, certainly does. And it, it does worry me as, 
uh, as well as an observer of, of what McLaren are doing right now. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with Lando Norris because this is a guy who's, you know, come out and talked about this car. It wasn't what he was hoping for after the winter. They didn't hit their aero efficiency, efficiency targets at all. They're going to be behind on the development plan, uh, a plan where everybody else is getting on with what they're doing and their rivals and their competition are making strides ahead of them now. Look, we know the usual caveat supply with McLaren. They're still using the simulating wind tunnel in Cologne that Toyota have obviously leased out to and probably the most um, used wind tunnel in Formula One history because everybody's mm-hmm. used it at some point. Um, probably the exception of Toyota, ironically. But, um, you know, looking at what McLaren are doing right now and with the car the way that it is, it does feel like they're still sticking with that concept right now where it, it peaks and it's great when it, you achieve those peaks. But like Lando Norris said, it's like driving on a knife edge in terms of balance. And it's really hard to extract that performance out of the car. I mean, if you've got a driver as good as Lando is, he has that feel and that ability that so few drivers have on the grid right now where he can get that and drag this car into a good position beyond what it's capable of. It probably does paint a picture as well as to why Ricardo struggled so much, you know, surprisingly. And it could also point if Oscar Piastri is not able to do what Lando does, how his season could go as well. So, um... I guess the question is, what can McLaren do to fix this and how long is it really going to take? don't know, to be honest. I think if I knew that, I'd probably get paid a lot of money to be in the McLaren team. Um, I feel like it's an unfair question, but I have to ask it, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't think there's a quick fix for it. I mean, it's not like, again, it's a bit like um, AlphaTauri last year. There's no obvious error with it. Like, just it sort of seems the development of the car, sort of what they did over the winter hasn't worked as well as they were hoping. And, like you said, if Norris is doing this, what what we can expect from Piastri as a rookie? Like the Red Bull car often gets talked about as being a difficult difficult car to get control of, especially sort of leaning towards how Max Verstappen tries. But at least with that car, like once you get I don't know even like seventy five percent out of it, you're doing very well. Whereas this McLaren car, it seems you have to be pushing it all the way to its very limit to get it to even compete for not podiums but at least points. So. Obviously, Lando Norris going into his fifth season with the team and in the sports, able to do that. He's proved that over the last few years, especially when Ricardo was there. But what, where does that leave Piastri? He's a new driver. He's obviously got a huge reputation. He's won F3 and F2. And he's sort of perhaps the most highly rated youngster maybe since Verstappen came into the sport. But it's one thing doing that, coming to a, a well-set-up team with an easy-to-drive car. But another thing entirely when this this really well-known brand, this well-known team, this historic team, but having this car that's just not sort of the level where they want to be. So yeah, there's just a lot of question marks. I don't know what they can do to fix it. They've, they'll obviously be working night and day now between now and lights out on Sunday, but I don't know if you can get it all done at that time. And I think it may be another few, few races at least until we sort of see, I think the one saving grace is obviously due to the Chinese Grand Prix being cancelled. They've sort of got this, early summer break where you're three races in and then suddenly you've got four weeks off. So maybe they can use that time to develop the car a bit more and get it to where they want. So that's sort of a saving grace. But yeah, they've got to get some work done soon, really, to not be so far behind that they can never catch up. I think that's going to be the key point in the season for them, you know, to, to before we can start judging them on where they really are. And, you know, having a driver like Lando Norris is fantastic. And obviously they're going to be well aware of the immediate short-term risk that if they're not able to give him the car that he deserves, a driver of his calibre and talent, that there may be an opportunity elsewhere at a, not even at a bigger team, at a team that is competing with them, the likes of Alpine or Aston Martin or somewhere like that. Not that I'm suggesting that that's going to happen, but 
there is always going to be that risk that they could lose Lando Norris before they get things up to speed, before they get the new simulator and wind tunnel in place and the facilities improved to a standard that is more fitting of a team of their stature compared to what they're dealing with right now. It feels like they are against a, a, a very quickly closing deadline right now, McLaren. So, you know, it's going to be the utmost importance for them to sort that out. Um, asking a question on McLaren, on Lando Norris, do you feel it might be a bit of a disadvantage for McLaren to have a driver with the level of feel and ability to drive around a car's issues like Lando Norris? Because it's one thing to suggest that he could help design a car that might be difficult for anyone else other than himself to excel in. But based on what Lando Norris is saying right now, they're probably not even doing that because he's complaining about how the cars handle, even though he's able to drive around it. So, uh, I mean, what does that mean for Piastri? What's expected of him? That's a good question, really. I think it's probably not It's not a bad thing that Lando's so good with this car. He can sort of make, get the best out of it because at least that gives them something that gives them P4 in the championship like they learned last year. But in terms of what Piastri expects, in, in a way, it's probably it might even be a positive for Piastri that, no one's expecting a load from him. Like I think if he was in a team like Alpine or Aston Martin, who sort of got grand plans for the future. I know that McLaren do, but if we look at the team's trajectory, really, sort of Alpine have been on the up and then Aston Martin look like they're going to be on the up this season where sort of McLaren sort of had their best years. I don't know, what would you say? 2021, maybe 2020, like back back in those times when they were sort of really challenging for the, the podiums and stuff like that. But for Piastri, I think it gives him sort of, not a free hit because obviously there's expectations, but the fact that he's against such a highly skilled driver is another thing going in his favor because no one, I don't think anyone realistically expects him to beat Norris. I think there's an expectation that he's going to be closer than Ricardo certainly got over the last two years, but I think it's going to be hard for him, but I don't think it's going to be the end of his career. If he doesn't do well this year, I think there's going to be a lot of acceptance that he's a, he's a great driver. It's someone that's going to, it's going to work out eventually, but whether that's this year, I don't think it. Well, it probably it might be, but it might not be. It's looking it's looking more likely that it won't be currently, but they could get this all fixed, and we could be saying that Piastri's done really well this by November. But yeah, it's just one to wait and see, really. Yeah, it's a hard one because they've got a rookie on their hands that's absolutely smashed it in junior category, Formula Three champion first time out, Formula Two champion first time out. They spent a lot of money and got rid of a very good driver to bring him in under the circumstances. And it was a real coup at the time. But as you said, I, I don't think they can put too much pressure on him. I think the most important thing is to get the car right and then we'll see what Oscar Piastri can do. Maybe he can drive around these issues like Lando can. Maybe they found another driver that can do that. We'll have to wait and see. They probably certainly hope they have. Let's move on to the final team, Williams. A lot can be said about Williams. It's been a big winter for them. Obviously, moving on Jos Capito, James Vowles stepping in as the new uh, team principal at Williams. They did a lot of laps. Second most, only AlphaTauri did more. Ninth fastest overall, uh, 132.5 from their rookie driver, Logan Sargent. Looking at Williams, there was a lot of ground for them to make up. They had the most ground to make up of any team. They had the most development time of any team under the ATR regulation. So it was no surprise to see that Williams did look like they made the biggest step forward of any team compared to where they were last year. The car looked good. It was a solid platform for the season ahead. Um, no surprise that the aero issues they may have had going in the winter break probably was hampered by this transition that they're making right now with a new team boss at the helm. What did you make of Williams? Is there a case to be argued that they're going to potentially be off the bottom or do you feel like they're just going to be a lot closer and a lot more involved in the fight? I think they possibly will be off the bottom, but whether that's due to them or whether it's due to AlphaTauri's poor performance, we'll see. Um, 
I think there's a lot of positive science coming out of the team for sure. They've got obviously got James Valsin, who's obviously he knows what he's doing. He you don't get employed at Mercedes for that long without having some idea of what you're doing. Um they've got Alex Albon, who's a very talented driver. He showed last year he's able to get the most out of that car. And they've got Logan Sargent, which is sort of this great unknown, really. I think Nicholas Satifi, for all, all his faults, wasn't a driver that was going to push you to new levels. I think Williams has sort of banked on the future of Sargent more than say like obviously with McLaren the new Piastri is a great driver because he's had this, this great junior career as you mentioned but Logan Sargent hasn't really had that same level of success so they're sort of banking on he's going to be the star of the future really and sort of going to grow into the team I think there's been enough progress that makes me think they'll get I mean if we think about those points towards the bottom of the, the table really like even a I don't know, a two a two points or one point, that can do a lot for your season. That can push you above a lot of teams. So I'm not going to say they're going to be chance of a podiums or anything. I don't think they'll be in the midfield, but I think they'll be... I'm backing them to not be at the bottom, at least, which is probably a good thing for where they've been over the last few seasons, at least, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a fair point. I mean, Logan Sargent, you know, we're talking about him. This is going to be a big year for him to step up into F1. Um, he's definitely a driver that has shown he is capable, even if he wasn't the outstanding choice. I mean, let's be real. He wasn't even Williams, his first choice or even their second choice. They were looking at the likes of Piastri. We thought a deal was going to be done there. Then we thought Nick DeVries was going to be driving for them. And then, of course, Mick Schumacher was touted before Logan Sargent got the nod in the end. You know, right place, right time. But there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to do well. Um, I mean, how do you think he's going to fare this year? I know expectations might be a bit low, and it might be more of a just to bed yourself in and get comfortable with the team. But uh, this is a good opportunity for him to try and prove that he's capable of being in Formula 1. Yeah, I think the pressure's entirely off. I mean, no one's expecting massive things from Williams. So I think it's just... I've said this a few times already, but it does seem like a bit of a free hit. It's sort of just, this is the year to get used to F1 and sort of all the challenges that come with it compared to other series. Um, get yourself familiar with an F1 car. And yeah, I think he's not going to be judged solely on these this performance, like this season's performance. I can't imagine. I think, like I said, I think Williams has sort of bet on the future with him and they're sort of given this year as... I mean, if they're willing to accept Latifi, and I know he brought in more money than Sergeant probably does, but Latifi wasn't getting many points to them. So if they can accept that, then surely they can accept similar. If it means, if there's at least signs of a good driver in there, I don't know what what's realistic expectation in terms of what he's going to do this season. I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't finish with any points, which is sounds like horrendous, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's occasionally fighting for those lower ends of points and trying to get his his nose in there, depending on what happens further up the grid. But yeah, I think it's just a very difficult year to predict what what sort of expected from a driver like him. But I think Williams would just be hoping he gets through the year, sort of gets experience under his belt, or maybe they improve on the car further for next year and he can sort of show what he's learned and put that to the test, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I mean, you look at Logan Sargent and we look at younger drivers that haven't quite made it through into F1 in recent years, like of, uh, Callum Mylot, for example, Teo Porcher, of course, it hasn't quite made it to F1 yet, but, you know, it only seems a matter of time before he's there amongst a few others. Logan Sargent, I don't want to say there are levels to this game. In, to apply to imply that he's not quite going to cut it but Oscar Piastri you know someone that we can compare him to is also making his debut season there is a different standard there of course Felipe Drugovic even though he's making he could make his debut 
uh, next weekend. You know, if I was to pick someone that was going to finish P20, before I thought Djokovic was going to drive a car, I said Logan Sargent. It might be likely that he's going to be P21 now if Djokovic scores points for Aston Martin, uh, if he drives next weekend, of course. I'm only speculating at this point. But it does feel like there's a lot there for Logan Sargent to prove his worth. And and as you said, Sam, because Latifi came before him, obviously expectations are going to be curbed a little bit because they want to see if he can get up to speed. And hopefully he can do more for the team long term than perhaps what Latifi was able to manage with all due respect to him. One final question I wanted to ask on Williams. And this is an important one for the future. They've got James Vowles in, in this team principal role, someone who's taken up his first role after having a stellar career working on the technical side at Mercedes, someone who knows what a championship team looks like. Williams are not that right now. How big a job do you think he has to try and turn that around at Williams? And is it possible he may have already been hampered by his predecessors in taking probably the most of the resources Williams had available at the time? And not really been able to do much with it. If anything, perhaps, you know, hinder them and send them back a bit. Yeah, it's a massive job, really. Like, not only is it his first job as a team principal, sort of the, the big boss, as it were. But yeah, at a team like Williams, I mean, what would he deem as a success? I mean, I'm sure he spoke with the, the stakeholders and things like that and the people who appointed him. But what what's a good season for Williams? It's, it's quite a hard thing to accept, like to predict really. Um, I think it's it's going to be a good season of learning for him, like A, being in a different role, but also B, being in a, an entirely different new team. I'd imagine we'll start seeing a lot of the Mercedes's way of working sort of transferred over to Williams saying, look, this is how, like you say, a championship winning outfit does it. Let's start replicating some of those processes. And I think that will eventually pay dividends, whether it's this season, because we know he's, He's coming quite late compared to a lot of the other appointments. He wasn't, I believe it was this year. I can't remember sort of exactly what, what time it was, but it was. It seemed quite late on in the year. Yeah, well, just the after winter Christmas, break. I think, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. compared to the, due is quite a way to the winter break. So obviously mm. the, the effect he will have had in these short months is quite minimal. And then we've got a 23 race calendar. So it's not exactly like he's going to have loads of times back at the HQ as well. So I think he's sort of in a similar mold to Sergeant that he's, a long time appointment. There's been there's been rumors obviously that the Mercedes sent him out to sort of groom him into being eventual total wolf replacement, but I don't know how true that is and how willing Williams would be to accept a deal like that. So I think, yeah, I've I feel like I, I've said it a uh, time before, but it, it's just hard to know what he deems a personal success. I mean, he's never gonna say now what his targets are, but it's I'm sure the targets are just to make a step forward, make make Williams not the absolute rock bottom every race, not you might, yeah, make sure you don't go into race. You might as well just take P19 and P20 now. But yeah, just making some progress. No one's expecting a massive amount of progress. No one's expecting you to fight for podiums or wins or points or whatever. But just signs of improvement from last year. I think that's that'd be enough for him and the team and the fans, really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree. And and the team does look like it has made a step forward with his car. It's less sensitive to uh, changes in conditions. I know that was something it struggled with last season. Alex Albon was obviously talking it up and they've got to absolutely maximise what he is capable with this car. So hopefully they can, you know, do something that will lift their spirits and send them further up the grid. Let's hope for the best for Williams. But uh, I think that's all we've got time for, guys. Sam, of course, thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate you coming on to record with me on a Sunday evening. I imagine we're all quite tired. We want to sort of relax a little bit, digest everything before we look forward to the season ahead. A lot of stories have been going around the paddock right now, or, you know, on expectations on what to look forward to for this season. 
Is there anything that uh, that comes to your mind or something that you'd want to see? I mean, the midfield battle does seem to be the intrigue right now this season. Uh, not only who's going to be at the top of it, but it does seem to be very, very close right now. A lot closer, perhaps, than uh, the top three teams. Yeah, I think that's probably the most exciting. I mean, I think hopefully we're going to have a bit of a championship battle this year. I know we've talked up Red Bull a lot, but I think Ferrari look good, Mercedes look good as well. So hopefully that sort of translates onto the track because and we didn't get much of a title race last season. So hopefully it's a bit more competitive than that. But um, yeah, I think it's just intrigue pretty much all up and down the grid. There's a lot of storylines to be excited about. So yeah, it looks hopefully it's going to be a very good season and hopefully a lot of your listeners can enjoy it. I hope so too. And uh, But guys, I think that's all we've got time for on this episode. We will be back with our first race preview of the season. The Bahrain Grand Prix coming up next weekend. And I, for one, cannot wait to see how it all pans out. Of course, we will leave Sam's uh, social media links in the show notes and the description. Of course, don't forget to subscribe to Planet F1 as well, where Sam is a very busy writer for the team there. Great stuff on there as well. But until next time, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Please stay safe. Don't forget to subscribe and all that whatnot. But we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Podcast Network.